Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And a few of my favorite ordinary summer things are roses in my garden, a dash through the lawn sprinkler, and fresh corn on the cob, grilled. And a few of mine are watermelons so sweet that the juice runs down your face and stains your elbows, campfires that smell of sweet pine cones, and vanilla-flavored iced coffee with cream that can crack any face into a grin. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. An excerpt from The Middle Matters, Why That Extraordinary Life Looks Really Good on You, by Lisa Jo Baker. Part 1. Why the Middle of Your Muffin Top Matters. Welcome to The Middle. Once upon a time, I had no idea what a muffin top was. That time, my friend, has long passed. I'm in my 40s now, and me and my muffin top, that chubby little bulge of tummy that refuses to stay tucked away behind the top button of my jeans, but insists on grinning around at the world over the top of my waistband, are on the closest of terms, maybe more so than I would like. It is one of the landmarks of my middle, literally and metaphorically, because when I bump up against that chunky midsection that I'm trying to accept, it's with the same surprise I feel late at night after I've exhausted another day of being in charge of my own life and the lives of all these people who live in our house, plus the cats. I keep waiting to feel like a grown-up while going through all the grown-up motions. I'm not sure if these are the things you're supposed to say out loud, but isn't it weird to have all the responsibilities of a grown-up and look like a grown-up and have a grown-up job and a grown-up mortgage and still not be sure how or when to change the air filters? It's a shock to find myself here in the middle. I'm pretty much at the halfway point of my life. What on earth? In true muffin top character, it is not glamorous. The middle is mostly the part where it's easy to pass by without slowing down long enough to pay attention. You just want to tuck that chubby midsection into your pants, drape a flowy shirt over it, and call it good enough. You know what I'm talking about, yes? What this middle muffin-top stage of life looks like. Maybe, like me, you've now lived longer with your man than without, and that's insane. Because when you were 18, maybe you also swore you'd never be anyone's wife or mother. And now he knows every nook, cranny, and, let's face it, pockmark of your wonderland. And you are a reluctant connoisseur when it comes to the entire range of his nightly snore repertoire. You both wear glasses and secretly enjoy going to Costco. Your kids are toddling into middle school or high school instead of just around your living room. And while on the outside you look like a grown-up, your inside self is still frozen in time at your favorite age. But you no longer recognize the tween celebrities featured on the magazines at the checkout aisle. Instead, you leaf through the home decor mags while waiting to pay for the mound of food it now takes to feed your constantly starving tiny humans who are no longer tiny and sometimes walk into the living room, wink, and call you woman. Your kids are human shazams for all the songs you no longer recognize on the radio. And when you watch movies these days, you're rooting for the parents instead of the angsty teens. 
There are so many soccer and football and dance parties that you often drive to the wrong location or show up at the wrong time on the wrong day. And maybe there's still one little left in the house who gets schlepped along to all the big sporting events. And you end up feeling bad for her and sometimes for yourself that you both have to be on the bleachers so much. None of these are bad things. They're just the pebble stuck in the bottom of your shoe that at first is only annoying, but on the hard days makes you want to throw that shoe across the room. Welcome to the middle. Normal feels all stretched out and squidgy around the edges when you're splitting time and to-dos, yet it's the stuff of life and marriage and kids and work that everyone lives. And now there's also the reality of retirement as more than just that infomercial you used to fast forward through, but also something you will actually need in the no longer distant future. And there's the no less essential investment of fighting for time to keep dating the man you're raising kids with. So you feel like a couple and not just a couple of people running a summer camp together. Add to that the more mundane, but still significant, figuring out of new school systems that require you to give five days advance notice to make a change to the bus schedule, and how that complicates organizing playdates for while you're out of town. Although your kids tell you that you're embarrassing them and it's not a playdate, mom, it's called hanging out. But you're the grown-up, and while this still surprises you, this is the work of grown-ups, organizing the boring details that keep a family chugging along. This is the stuff of our seasons right now, how we wake up to morning breath and steal quickie Sunday afternoon love and hope we can also squeeze in a just-as-sexy nap. These are the years of driving the curving bends of our neighborhood between school and practices and parent-teacher conferences and games and study sessions and recitals and the gas station and the grocery store every morning and afternoon and evening, and never getting tired of the golden, glorious trees while we often get tired of the driving. This is just what we do. We drive and feed and keep breaking our days and our lives wide open. We have winding conversations about sports and pop culture and try to explain Kim Kardashian to our tweens while our middles get squishier. It takes work to keep paying attention, to keep parenting with intention, because there's a lazy side of us that just wants to hit cruise control and sleep in now that our kids are sleeping through the night. Please tell me you know what I'm talking about here. But the stakes are higher now because our kids can remember our mistakes. Combine that with the side of insanity that comes with finally understanding what work you feel meant and fulfilled to do, while also constantly having to juggle it with the schedules of everyone else who lives in your house, including the pets. I've been giving eye drops six times a day to one of my kids and also one of my cats. What on earth? At night, the fish need to be fed, and I never remember to actually go pick the tomatoes we tried to grow in our garden this year, over and over and over again. The middle is the place where our lives really live. This is the place where we have grown into the shape of our souls, even as we might have outgrown the shape of our genes. The middle is the marrow, the glorious ordinary of your life that utterly exhausts you, but that you might have finally started to understand in ways you didn't at the beginning. Listen, I'm not asking you to seize the day here. I'm just asking you to actually see it. 
even if just out of the corner of one eye. The middle is worth remembering while you are actually living it, because you won't pass by this way again. So it's worth slowing down long enough on random afternoons to really look around at your life and your husband and the human beings you are raising together and let it sink in that you've grown up and that it's good. You are living at the very center of what will be your story right now. Let's stop long enough to read a few lines of those lives out loud, because trust me when I tell you, sister, the middle is worth reading. The middle is ridiculous and terrible, so funny and so much fun, and also so exhausting. But it's the stuff of the stories our kids will one day tell about us. These are the days of miracle and wonder, the stories we will one day tell each other as we laugh at all those times we spent all those hours carpooling kids all over the planet of our neighborhood. These are the stories that will line our empty nests one day. We are living the memories that will be passed down to the ones who are still living their beginnings. The middle is the gift you didn't know you were right in the middle of, friend. Seriously, let's relish the middle. Let's savor the middle. Let's embrace the middle in all its mundane glory. Because maybe the middle isn't so bad. Maybe we don't want to hide it ignore it or miss it. Sister, maybe the middle is the part where it really starts to get good. Your age is not a dirty word. Once upon a time, I bought a pair of jeans in Prague, and they were gorgeous. It was the year before I became a mother. I bought them in a store that was just a stone's throw from the Charles Bridge, and they fit in ways that made Pete and me feel like newlyweds on honeymoon all over again. But better, as we were five years into our marriage and so much better acquainted with each other's moods and bodies than when we were still fumbling our way forward the first year. Those jeans could tell stories of late nights in expat restaurants, ordering onion rings in a country where that phrase is foreign, and it would never have occurred to me to consider the calories of an afternoon watching Cats, an evening at the opera, when I briefly ditched the jeans for dressing up, a long walk along the skyline. Those jeans. Those jeans could tell stories on me, and more and more they tell the story of what it means to say goodbye to that shape and that version of myself. Not because there's a perfect size, there's just an irreversible change in the set of the hips, the heart, the fit post-college, post-twenties, post-newlywed, post-new mom, post-thirties and forties, and that's okay. I'm mostly okay with it. In the mornings now, there are kids clamoring for breakfast and my eyes are blurry without contacts as I dig into my closet for comfort and bring out a pair of dark blue denim that is a friendly fit. And my youngest walks over and rubs her cheek against one leg. A teen boy wants cake for breakfast, and I'm more likely wearing my Converse sneakers than my heels. But my waist can tell stories now, bigger and grander than the view from the Charles Bridge in Prague. I am a life maker, grower of tiny humans, raiser of sons and daughter. I fit into myself better than I ever fit into my Prague jeans. I fit into this house and this family and the story we're living of less newbie parents who still find they enjoy waking up beside kids 
who some nights have still pretzeled themselves in between us, even though they really are too big for that now. My years made this moment possible. Every single year with all its wild joys and desperate despairs. People are often surprised when I comfortably admit how old I am, and I'm surprised at their surprise. Since when is sharing our age an act of courage? Every single one of these 44 years has been hard-earned. I am proud of them. The older I get, the more I like this woman in the skin, with these hips and these tired eyes and crooked smile, and stretch marks and wisdom. Yes, I'm older. My middle child thinks it's incomprehensible that I'm in my 40s. He likes to ask me over and over again and then shake his head in awe, muttering under his breath, I thought you were only 30. Wow, 40s. But I find I fit into this woman's skin better than I did a year ago, and so much better than a decade ago. I am becoming the surest version of myself. I feel it in my heart. Sometimes I feel it in my feet, too, but they simply tell me I've been busy, busy with work and sometimes jogging, more often hauling groceries between the car and the house and carpooling children and walking the length of soccer fields or football fields or the streets of D.C. with throngs of commuters or relatives in town who want to see the sights, and it's a soulful kind of busy. I'm not afraid anymore of who I will grow up to be, dressed up on Sunday mornings or wound down on Friday nights. I feel the wrinkles climbing happy around my eyes and my cheeks, a testimony to laughter and life. I feel so full of the wonder of being alive. Even on the days I am tired or frustrated or desperate for an hour to myself, I am aware that the God who made me gave me purpose and loves me, not because of what I do, what I weigh, or how I look, but because of who I am, and this is a miracle to me. My Father God was there during the years of sleep deprivation, and He's still here, walking beside me as I keep stubbing my toes on this new season of teenage years, this shift from carrying my kids on the curve of my hip to carrying them deep in the ache of my heart. These strange new years of discovering a fascinating new world that I've arrived in without the instructions or tools I'll need to make sense of it, the tools I'll need to coax my huge boys into sharing their thoughts and dreams with me the way they used to share their Lego creations. This is new. This is good. This is crazy intimidating. Pete and I are stumbling our way forward and becoming sure in our dreams and work and still get the urge to dash out at 8.30 p.m. after taking the long commute home to go buy cinnamon breadsticks. It's not just indulgence. Sometimes, after a long day of negotiating project deadlines and tween arguments, it's a matter of survival. This is older. This is better. This is good. And I know I've made my peace with this time and place when I put on my jeans and care more about their comfort than their size. These jeans have been on a journey with me and have seen the rise and fall of hips and belly as I carried three babies— I doubt men have closets full of clothes in such a unique array of sizes, but they haven't worn their children on the inside either. My mom was two years younger than I am now when she died. I remember thinking she was so old, but now of course I know better. She was as young as everybody said she was. She had so much living still to do, but she was also satisfied 
a woman who ate her life in enthusiastic chunks of joy and roars of laughter and long conversations over many cups of hot tea until she was full up on a full life filled with stories. So I will never be embarrassed by my years. If I can offer anything I've learned, any mistakes, any scars, any wrinkles of wisdom to the women coming behind me, I will do so. And if letting them know exactly how old I am helps them hear me better, believe me better, or take any of my own experiences to heart, then it was worth it. It is always worth it to be the truest version of ourselves because of our ages, our sizes, our shapes, our stories. At night, I sit in the bathroom on the closed toilet lid as my youngest, my first grader, takes a bath. And I talk to her about beauty. I point out the parts of her pruny self that she's the most self-conscious about, and we name them beautiful. We talk about round, growing bellies that remind us of acorns, packed with all the potential to grow into giant oak trees. This is beauty, I tell her. This belly of yours loves you because it offers you life and length and growth and height, all stored up in there, waiting for the right season. She reaches up from the tub and wraps her arms around my neck, and we sit there beside the floating dolls that bear witness to this truth. And it's quiet, except for the dripping tap. There are books and blog posts and news articles that I comb through in the dark hours while my daughter sleeps. They say that girls need to hear that they are brave and strong and capable, that their bodies are purposeful more than they are beautiful. I don't doubt that's true, but my daughter is fast asleep in the room next door, wrapped around by the pink and white and wildly frilly tutu she wouldn't take off before bed. And I imagine there's something to that, too. And last year, when we were packing up suitcases for our flight to South Africa and Christmas with the family we hadn't seen in two years, I threw in six princess dresses at the last minute. They were folded up so small and light and fragile into the nooks and crannies of space between our everyday essentials that you'd hardly notice them. On impulse, I packed a blue Cinderella and a yellow bell and a white Barbie princess gown a seafoam green Ariel dress and a snow-white gown and a bright pink tutu. Part of my brain thought it ridiculous, but I had this other feeling that there may be princesses in need of dresses. The thing about beauty is that it's always there. It just looks different for each of us, but it's always there waiting to be called out. A grown-up friend wrote to me, I want to be told that I'm beautiful too. Behind our glasses and insecurities, behind our unruly bangs and business suits or yoga pants, behind our accomplishments and husbands and kids, there is always the little girl who wants to be told she's beautiful. I know this because I see her in the mirror. I ignored her for years, but I'm learning she needs to be taken seriously. Having a daughter is teaching me that. As seriously as I take her brain and her athleticism and her kindness, as seriously as I take her passions and ideas and hurts, I need to take this part of us that is called beauty. Even though I've spent years pretending she doesn't exist, this part of me that embarrasses me, the part that wants nothing to do with Barbies and defines herself by her brain and not her looks, this part of me that longs to be named beautiful because I remember all the ways I did not 
and was not when I was a young girl or when I was a speaker at a conference last week. She has thin, straggly hair. Her ears stick out. These are the labels I have accepted about myself since I was a teenager, because a too-hip-for-his-age hairdresser once whispered them to my mom while he was cutting my hair, as if they were a shameful secret, as if I should apologize for ears that got in the way of his scissors. Do you know what I mean? Do you have a memory, a throwaway sentence, an insult, a note, a casual cutting observation that you tucked into your soul and allowed to grow up alongside you as if it were always part of you, so that now that lie is grafted into your DNA and you can't tell the difference between the label and the reality of you. I remember how my cheeks burned, how for years afterward I felt embarrassed any time a hairdresser came to be trimming in the vicinity, how I imagined they must be appalled by my big and sticky-out ears, how that tiny seed of an insult had grown into a definition that I allowed to define me, how easily I slipped into the habit of apologizing for my appearance, even if I spoke the defeated words only inside my own head. He named me unbeautiful, and I believed him. I wonder what would have happened if my mother had voiced a response to the sentence that slipped so carelessly from that hairdresser all those years ago. I wonder, with all of life's long list of busyness, if moments like those even qualify for taking the time to respond, for leaning in and telling strangers who casually pin unhelpful words to parts of our bodies that we will, in fact, not be accepting those labels today, thank you very much, that we choose instead to name our girls and ourselves and, yes, even our thighs and ears and waists and hair and scars with the words spoken on the sixth day of creation, very good. And then one afternoon, decades later in South Africa, the women in our family have a princess party for our daughters, some adopted, some fostered, some born from our hips. And I see in each of their wide eyes and longing looks at the mirror that beauty loves to be called out, to be named and cherished and recognized by her mother. Our daughters will see themselves as beautiful in our eyes first, if we let them. And once they've seen themselves as beautiful in the eyes of their mothers, maybe they'll be brave dancing through the minefields of what the movies and magazines scream is desirable. On a whim, the moms dress up too. The only princess dresses that fit us are the ones from our weddings. I haven't worn mine since that day and it won't zip up all the way in the back. But I step into it anyway and see my own wild hopes echoed in five pairs of eyes. I see that beauty is more than a dress size and at the same time never less than princess size. I see that God looks at our insides, but also made our unique outsides, and that maybe we need to stop making false divides. And I feel how I am wired to feel beautiful as five sets of small arms wrap tightly around my neck. And I believe the promise that the future holds love stories for each of us. Daughters lost and found, abandoned, beloved, adopted, daughters named, daughters in all different shades, accents, languages, daughters celebrated, daughters beautiful. 
and the word might not always fit us. It might feel as if it's too tight or stuck in back like my wedding dress that gaped open with a disgruntled zipper that couldn't quite contain the 20 years since I last wore it. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I've outgrown that dress because you can't ever outgrow the beauty of being loved. And when my mini-me, my little girl, takes my veil and wraps it around herself like a hug, eyes looking up at me from under layers of lace, I see my past, present, and future all cupped in that single moment, in the hands of the God who declares us all beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Ecclesiastes 3.11 That means you and me and our years, our hurts, and unhappy endings. Everything is beautiful when reflected in the eyes of the God who names us so. Beauty, like so much grace, so much hope, so many promises, is in the eye of the faithful, heavenly beholder. But it's okay to doubt. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to ask the question out loud, sister, even if the only person who hears it is the one who made you beautiful in the first place. But hear me, hear him when he says that you are beloved and wildly beautiful. From your cracked, tired heels to your fingers all wrinkled from dishwater and diapers changed in the dark. From your brain bursting with curiosity and creativity and entrepreneurship and equations to your hair that you wish was curlier, straighter, thicker, thinner. That mole, that wrinkle, those jeans that don't fit like they used to on that set of hips. Those tired eyes, those strong arms, that crooked grin, that brilliant mind. That brave mouth that speaks up for children, for women, for anyone who can't speak for themselves. Those feet that run hard after a God who has called you those aching muscles, that broken heart, that doubting faith. Every freckle, every laugh line, every stretch mark, every wrinkle, every year, that waist that deserves your grace. Yes, even that belly, all soft with the memory of life. Especially that, every inside and every outside, you are beautiful. My favorite muffin top photo. I was one of the oldest kindergarten moms, our third and final lap around, as we started this whole parenthood thing much later than most folks. So while other moms were vying for one of the field trip chaperone spots, I was deeply relieved to be able to sit it out. Over the past decade, I have seen so many field trips that I've lost any sense of wonder. Also, I get violently carsick. Riding a sticky school bus crammed full of overexcited six-year-olds is a special level of motion sickness hell. So this mama has learned that if you have to do field trip duty, you wanted to be from your minivan while following behind the school bus, drinking your Starbucks and listening to your favorite podcast. But kindergarten end-of-year plays are another thing entirely. Give them all to me. Bring them on, I say. They are magic and fairy dust and hopes and dreams, and they almost make up for the endless hours spent signing reading folders and slogging through sight words. This end-of-year performance is what schools use to erase all the nightmares of trying to come up with a hundred different items to glue to your kid's shirt to commemorate the first 100 days of school. 
on that note, you really should be shooting for only minimal output and expense. Just ask any seasoned mom. So just say no to tiny, messy sequins and yes to soft, easy to handle mini pom-poms or better yet, just stick with plain old stickers. I've also learned that if you want a good seat for the kindergarten play, you need to arrive a good 40 minutes early because kindergarten parents and all their camera paraphernalia take this thing very seriously. So you better be early or forget even seeing your kid because you'll be crowded out by rows and rows of video equipment and selfie sticks. Zoe's first and our last kindergarten performance was epic. Yes, I can say that with a straight face. Because you put a room full of generally sane adults in front of row upon row of their offspring, spouting off incomplete and garbled sentences combined with an awkward musical soundtrack and nonsensical hand motions, and we will just eat it all up 100%. It's biology at its most basic. So there we were, feeling as if our daughter had won an acting scholarship to Juilliard because she had a speaking role as the brick house pig. True story. Although, perhaps these over-exaggerated feelings were more mine than Peter's, but whatever, man. My kid was in the cutest Peppa Pig t-shirt and tutu, and I was all in for her one line yelled loudly and proudly into the microphone. I cried. Yes, I did. Go on. Admit that you cry too when your tiny humans go through the brave motions of putting themselves out there. It's irresistible. This glimpse into what's waiting for them out there in the big, wide world. It's like getting to watch them put a toe in the water. Vulnerability and courage are both required, and our miniature adults troop right up there in front of a giant audience of expectations and cameras, and it's impossible to be disappointed by them. We're too busy being in awe of them. So she said her line and sang her songs, and we clapped and cheered from the front row. We leaned in and watched it all with our own eyes, carefully not overdoing the camera work, so our girl could get a glimpse of our faces unobscured by screens. We watched and laughed and loved that moment of being swept up in the sea of other people, all feeling similar emotions. All that pride heavy in the air and all those parents and grandmas and grandpas, aunties and uncles, all clapping their hands raw and holding on to these memories to save up in their heads for the days their kindergartners grow up and away from them and these tender moments when they were still those kids' everything. Peter bought Zoe a bouquet of flowers, third child, first daughter, what can I say, were fools for her, and she swept it up in her arms as her daddy swept her up in his and her smile was sunshine, and we grinned back defenseless against her gravitational pull. I absorbed it all through my eyes and my skin, and then decided to take a picture so I could save it up for the days I needed to see it all over again. We navigated our way up onto the stage between all the other families, and she wanted to pose in front of her brick house, so we squeezed ourselves into an open spot on the set And then she reached for me and I wrapped my arm around those precious shoulders and she held her flowers high and we both turned full wattage smiles on the camera. What a moment. What a daughter. God bless you kindergarten teachers all over the world for making magic in tired school gyms. Peter snapped the photo and Zoe and I laughed our way off the stage and out to lunch. She wanted a happy meal from McDonald's and only later at home 
did I pull up that photo? And the first time I opened it, all I saw was radiant joy. But the second look brought a different perspective. I was taken aback to see my own stomach in such a prominent view. I had crouched down on the stage next to my tiny daughter without wasting a second on rearranging my limbs or the drape of my shirt or sucking in my gut. I was much too focused on her, and it distracted me utterly from myself. So what you see in the photo is a beaming mother with a generous muffin top bulging over her jeans as she presses up next to her daughter. I looked at the photo with what should have been dismay. But I can tell you honestly, my finger was never even tempted to hit the trash button. No way. There was too much happiness to ever diminish it by worrying about waistlines. Sometimes the joy of our kids drowns out the insecurities about ourselves. And dang, that's such a good thing. It's rare and it happened to me in that moment. I wasn't thinking about posing in the most flattering position because I was so busy exploding with delight and pride and love in my girl. I looked at that photo and all I could see was how bright she shines, how joy bursts out of her face and explodes all over her mama. When I look at her, I forget to worry about me, my hair, my pose, my outfit, my body image. All I see is her, and she is the whole world. And dear Jesus, please help me keep focusing less on me and more on her. And let that spill over into other parts of my life, too. Help me to keep forgetting myself in the healthiest kinds of ways. And keep seeing the world through the sparkling, wild, and wonderful eyes of someone else. Because when she looks at herself, and even more when she looks at me, All she sees is admiration, a best friend, the excitement of all she has to look forward to in becoming a woman, the deep celebration of who she is and how she accepts this all as her due. It's made me wonder. It's made me try to find the line in time, the point between then and now that explains the how, how we women can go from the childlike delight in who we are laughing, loving, running with abandon on unselfconscious legs, to running for the work of losing those lost few pounds, and then some more after that. You know what I mean, right, sister? It makes me want to find the location on the map, the longitude and latitude that mark the spot where the mirror became a critic instead of simply a reflection of all that beauty that rises from the inside with the tide of a life well loved. Who taught us to hate the shape of a gentle belly still softly swollen with the memory of life, or those flabbier than we might like arms that soothe and rock and circle the years of tiny lives who take comfort in that softness, who find a pillow there for hot, tired tears? Who drew the line between before and after this body bore kids, or walked the long road of adoption, or of in vitro fertilization, and felt in every nerve ending all the changing and stretching and aching of the metamorphosis of motherhood. Who said that stretch of growth wouldn't ring us around with age? Who taught us to be ashamed, sister? Who stole the glory of motherhood by measuring it in pounds, or wrinkles, or saggy arms, instead of lives, 
first breaths and steps and heartbreaking conversations, in gotcha days and late nights waiting up in misunderstandings and forgiveness, and the weight of immeasurable, shockingly ordinary glory. Look at the oak and her honorable life marked down to the very bones of her body. Each year of growth and change and breaking and reaching still higher for the heavens, marked with a ring upon ring of hard, beautiful life that she doesn't try to hide. When did disguise become as necessary to being a mother as having children? Instead, the oak trees bend and sing in the wind, their rings recognizing layer upon layer of life. Lean in, sister, because this is our story too. It's time to own our years. It's time to own each year and baby and change as beautiful as the body of the tall, wild, wonderful oak, so comfortable in her skin. So I trace the memories engraved into the laugh lines of my face, the dimples in my belly, the wrinkles that wink from the corners of my eyes. My reminder sits next to me. You're so beautiful, Mama, she says. And I know she means it. She tells me the exact same thing every morning. When I'm fresh out of the shower with a sometimes successfully outlined eye and jeans that aren't sagging yet, as she does at night, when we're both exhausted and the mascara has smudged dark circles beneath my eyes. Her skin is as flawless as her innocence, and I don't want to be the first to paint over it, not with the baggage handed down from one woman to the next, the secret sigh of the scale that whispers malcontent over a lifetime of meals. I get that healthy matters, it's just that I want her soul to grow up well-fed. So I let her fingers trace patterns on the tummy that stretched to house her baby body. I don't erase it from the photo. I share that moment on Instagram and print it for our family album, Zoe and me and my muffin top. We sit side by side on the bed and I show her the photo from her concert and she admires us both. We talk about courage, her favorite parts of the play, her outfit, and then talk slips to our summer plans and how we both have strong legs. She softly traces the scars that punctuate mine, and I tell her the stories behind them. She sees me laugh into the mirror and watches my reflection in her father's eyes, how he makes me beautiful because it's how he sees me. We're girls, I whisper into her curls, and she giggles and hugs me hard all arms and legs wrapped tight around the body I practice loving. I practice deliberately loving every season of this body that has been gifted to me, standing with arms spread wide against the rising tide of dissatisfaction our culture shouts about women. She whispers back to me as we're crouched down on the edge of a stage, me and my muffin top and joy and she in her self-confidence and joy. Mama, you're my very, very best friend, and I am determined to be just that, in words and actions and the love story that ring after ring I live in this body. Thank you for joining me in this story today. Here's to the middle.
If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 